As each day brings the world closer to the rapture, do you wonder what believers ought to be doing to prepare for it? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah and guest Sheila Walsh address this question as they continue their conversation about David's new book, The Great Disappearance. To set the stage for the remainder of their interview on becoming rapture ready, here's Sheila Walsh. In this teaching series, you talk that the rapture will occur in a time like Noah, when Noah was on the earth. Oh, yes, okay, yeah. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You know, that's a really interesting thing. You say, okay, what's it going to be like before Jesus comes back? If you want to find out, go back and read Genesis. Because here's what the Bible tells us. First of all, it was a cavalier generation. The Bible says they were marrying and giving in marriage, eating and have, and when I first thought that, I thought, oh my goodness, what a terrible thing. But it's not, they weren't doing anything bad. They were just doing something normal. They were carrying on life just like normal. They were cavalier. Here's Noah over there beating his brains out, building this ark, been pounding on the ark for 120 years, preaching every day. They just didn't pay any attention. Wow. And that's the way it is today. And the Bible says every intent and thought of their heart was evil. It was the most evil generation that had ever been on earth until that time. And of course, we're working hard to catch up with them, aren't we? You know, I read some statistics about the imagination, which is pretty much a target on pornography. And that 20% of all pornography right now is children 12 years and under. We have figured out a way to take all the evil that's in the world and confine it into a little cell phone so you can carry it with you everywhere you go. So it was cavalier, it was corrupt, and it was careless. I mean, how could you hear this man preach every day for 120 years? And, and they didn't listen. In fact, I often think about Noah being so discouraged. He preached for 120 years and only had eight converts. I mean, only his family got saved. Everybody else just blew it off. They were caught off guard. I mean, they didn't know what rain was. Did you know it had never rained before then? They'd had mist on the earth, but no rain. All of a sudden it started to rain and they started remembering what Noah had been preaching. And then they started moving toward the ark and the door was shut and it was too late. And the Bible says that's the way it will be in the day before the rapture. People will be just doing their own thing, not paying any attention. And then some stuff will start to happen that will get their attention. And if they're not careful, they'll wait too long and the Lord will come back and they'll be left behind. Wow. You describe the great disappearance as the greatest day and the worst day the earth has ever seen. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, you just think about it. Uh, How many of you, let me just ask this question. How many of you have friends and family who are not Christians. Raise your hands, you see. It's almost everybody in this room. You will not be aware of of being disappointed because you'll be in heaven and there won't be any sorrow there. But just think about that. And for them, they go out into an eternity from which there is no return. The second death is what you face when you are separated from God forever. And there's not anything I can say to you to describe the awfulness of that. And it's so unnecessary because the gospel is so clear and the message is so easy to believe. I have to tell you that reading that gave me a fresh challenge because I have a couple of cousins who live in Scotland and 
the knowledge of this should change the way that we live every single day in terms of sharing the gospel, even with those we think yeah. won't pay attention. And you know, Sheila, that's really an important thing because one of the goals I had with this book was to make sure the gospel was in every chapter. Yeah. You cannot read The Great Disappearance and not know what you need to do to go to heaven. Yeah. A lot of people wonder, what about little ones? What about children who are not at the age of being able to understand? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question, too, because while the Bible doesn't deal with that issue in regard to the rapture, it does deal with that issue in regard to death. Mm. What happens to a little one who dies before they can understand the gospel? The Bible teaches that they go to heaven. And there are a number of reasons for that and lines of proof, which I've outlined in this book. The Bible says, Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forgive them not, for of such is the kingdom Kingdom of of heaven. heaven. Isn't that Mm -hmm. interesting? And uh, remember when the children tried to get to Jesus and the disciples said, no, you can't bother Jesus. He said, no, no, you let those children come. He loved children. He had a special place in his heart for children. It's absolutely impossible that a God who is a God of fairness and justice would punish little ones for something they could not even possibly understand. I believe that there's a period of time when a child does not know the gospel. But then as they get older and they present the gospel and they come to what the Bible sort of talks about as the age of accountability, then they become responsible. But until they're responsible, they are not held accountable for their sin. They go to heaven. And the greatest illustration of that is the story of David, one of my great friends uh, helped me understand this one day. You remember when uh, David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed and then uh, in their adultery uh, Bathsheba had conceived and she was going to have a child and uh, David was told by Nathan that that child was not going to live and that that child would die and the Bible says that David mourned and he grieved and he and he wouldn't eat and he he was in sackcloth and ashes, laid on the floor and cried out to God uh, about this child. And then the child died. And the Bible said David got up and got dressed and put on an ointment and went to his house and went back to normal. And, and his servants didn't understand it. And they said, David, what is this about? I mean, while the child was living, you mourned. And when the child died, you got up and went back to living a normal life. And David said, the child has died. I cannot bring him back to me, but I shall go to him. What David said is, I'm going to go and be with my child. Amen. Wow. So here's, here's a little bit more application of that for people you may know. If it is true, which the Bible teaches, that life begins at conception, that means that aborted children will be in heaven. That means that children who have been lost in miscarriages will be in heaven. Children who are lost in a tragedy will be in heaven. And um, I have actually said in the book, mothers who have longed to hold that child in their arms will one day hold that child in their arms in heaven because they're real people. They're, they're individuals and they will go to heaven. What will our bodies look like? Will, like, will we all recognize you? <laughs> yeah. You know, when we, that's an interesting thing that, that um, when we are resurrected, if, if let's suppose that we, the Lord doesn't come back for a while and we're, we're in our graves. The Bible says we'll be resurrected and then 
we're going to be made like unto the Lord Jesus. We're going to have a resurrection body like Jesus' body. Uh, the Bible says we shall see him and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And what does that mean? You're going to have the same body, uh, but your body's going to take on the characteristics of the body that Jesus had when he came out of the grave. Let's stop and think about what was that like? Could he eat? Yes, he did. Uh, and that'll Hallelujah. Be great, that'll be great news for some of you. You, and if you. If you can't eat, you don't want to go to heaven. I understand that. Right. But here's the thing. He could eat, but he didn't have to eat. Interesting. He didn't eat because he had to. He ate because it was pleasurable. Number two, he was able to move from one place to another without accessing the ways we travel. Remember, one day he stood in the midst of his disciples in a room where the door was closed. Mm. So apparently we're going to have the ability to move about in a different kind of way than we ever have. But we're going to be in our same bodies renewed. And the Bible teaches that we will know each other and that we will know even as we are known. Uh, when uh, Jesus came back from the resurrection in his body, everybody knew he was the same Jesus who had been crucified and was placed in the grave. Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, everybody knew who they were. It's impossible to believe that our memories will be worse in heaven than they are now. <laughs> You know, so when we get to heaven, we will know each other and it will be wonderful because we will know each other that we've heard about. We'll know people that we've heard about, people that lived in a different generation. And you say, well, how are we ever going to get around to them? Folks, this is for eternity. You're going to have time. You're going to have. Yeah. Right. That's, you talk about the great disappearance, but you also call it the great reunion. What is that? Well, I kind of alluded to that a minute ago, that there's a threefold reunion when the rapture happens. First of all, the reunion of souls and bodies. If you're a Christian and you die, your body goes in the grave and your soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord. But in the resurrection, your body and your soul and spirit will be reunited and you will be alive in your body, in your resurrected body. That's the first reunion. Secondly, there will be people who are alive on the earth and people who are in the grave. My parents, for instance, uh, James and Ruby Jeremiah, are in a grave in Cedarville, Ohio. But in the rapture, I'm going to be reunited with them. They will be resurrected. If I'm still here, I'll be here. And the Bible says they'll be caught up and I'll be caught up together and I will see my mom and dad. And then the Bible says all of us in that group will meet the Lord and will be reunited with him and together we shall see the Lord and we shall be with him forever. Amen. Wow. So you teach that after the rapture comes the tribulation. Can you put into words, I mean, you've done, you've done a little of this, but what will the tribulation be like? You know, uh, I read this somewhere where there's not one word anybody can find anywhere that's positive about the tribulation, mm. except that it will be over. Uh. You know, except for the fact that one day it's only seven years. Yeah. The tribulation will be the most awful time. Uh, if you read uh, the stories about the uh, rule of the Antichrist, you know, you, know you, you have to take his mark or you can't eat, you can't buy. Many, many people during the tribulation will starve to death because they won't be able to get food. If you don't have the mark of the beast, you will go to the grocery store and fill up your basket when you get to check out. They won't let you pay and they won't let you take your groceries. Mm -hmm. You will not be able to eat. You won't be able to buy. You won't be able to transact business. And hundreds of thousands of Christians who won't take the mark will die from starvation. Many of them will be martyred by the cruelty of the beast. It will be an awful time. 
And um, people say, well, why don't I just wait till after the rapture? And if this is true, I'll go into the tribulation, and then I'll get saved. Wow. Let me tell you, that might be true. But you will not go to heaven with the Lord in the rapture, and you will suffer an awful death, and you will go to heaven as a martyr. And when you get to heaven, it'll be better. But you don't want to go through that. That's, yeah. that nobody wants to be in the tribulation, I promise you. I've often wondered if when all the church is removed, wouldn't that make people who are left behind believe? You know, Sheila, that's a really good question, and I'm, I probably can answer it a lot better now than I ever could. You know, the Bible tells us that a great deception will take place, and there will be a lot of uh, conspiracy theories that come about. Some people will say this out of space or whatever. It's amazing to me. The Bible says that God can send a strong delusion to people's heart. And people in the tribulation will find their own explanation. Isn't that what we do today? Yeah. You know, even some of the hard things that have happened here in this city. I've heard some of the explanations and it, it just defies imagination. Here's what you see that's the reality. And here's what they're saying. And they're not in the same world. Yeah. And yet we, we don't do anything about it. And that's what it will be like in the tribulation. People will see, oh, yeah, this is terrible, terrible. You know, there's an explanation for it. And then people will believe it. Many generations, in fact, even the disciples believed that perhaps the rapture would occur while they were still alive. Why has Christ tarried so long? That question is assumed in the Bible. Why is it taking so long? You remember in Peter, the scoffers come saying, you know, you're supposed to be coming for so long a time and you haven't come. Why haven't you come? Well, God doesn't live on your time schedule. In fact, God doesn't live on time at all. Time is a creation of God. God is eternal. Did you know he lives in the eternal present? There is no past, present, and future with God. It's all present. Everything in God's life is eternal, and it's not impacted by time. But in order for us to understand it, he said this. Just remember, a thousand days with the Lord is as one day, and one day is a thousand years. So people say, why has he been gone so long? Just tell him he's only been gone two days. (laughs) Number two, number two, I think that we misunderstand. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he delays his coming so that more and more of his children can come to be with him. So more, more and more people can be saved. He, he may be waiting for one of you who's here today. He may have delayed his coming. And, uh, and I thought about this when I was writing this book. God allowed me to live my life and he's allowed you to live your life. And so we long for him to come, but let's don't put God God is not obligated to come when we think he should. And he doesn't, he doesn't uh, use time the way we do. He doesn't use time at all. And he's waiting until the last person comes to Christ, and then he, he will come. In all your years of studying prophecy and studying the Word of God, when you were doing this new series, was there anything that was surprising to you? Did you learn anything that you hadn't understood before? Well, yeah, I think what's happened to me during this study is my conviction about what's going to happen in the future has been so strengthened. Yeah. I know exactly now. For instance, let me just take you through this little scenario. One of the big arguments that people have about the prophecies of the Bible and the rapture is Many people teach that the church is going to go through the tribulation and then go to heaven. Now, the Bible says we're looking for that blessed hope. How many of you know the tribulation is not the blessed hope? Some of you don't want that. 
But here's what I learned. First of all, the Bible teaches the doctrine of eminency, which means Jesus could come back at any time that nothing has to happen before he comes back. It doesn't mean he's going to come back immediately. It just means that nothing has to happen before he comes back. Well, if that's true, then the tribulation couldn't be in between now and then. In other words, if Jesus can come back at any time, you can't say, well, Jesus can come back at any time, but before he does, you've got to go through the tribulation. No, you don't. He could come back at any time because the tribulation is not about Christians. Listen to me. The tribulation is about the wrath of God against disobedience and rebellion. And the Bible says, therefore, if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We have not been appointed to wrath, but we've been appointed to Jesus Christ. We will suffer and we will be persecuted in this world. How many of you know that's true? Some of you are going through it right now. The Bible doesn't say we won't suffer, but the Bible never says that Christians will go through wrath. When you become a Christian, all of God's wrath was taken out at the cross. And if you have to go through the tribulation to experience the wrath of God, that says that what he did on the cross wasn't sufficient. I know better than that, and so do you. Yeah. And here's the second thing that I, I really understood perhaps better than ever before. The book of Revelation is probably the most organized book in the New Testament, even though people say it may be the most misunderstood. But God gave to John the outline of the book. He said, write the things you have seen and the things that are and the things that will be. In the first three chapters, John talks about his vision of Christ. And then he records the letters that were sent to the seven churches, which were to be sent to all the churches. Those letters were to those churches and to us. And then from chapter 4 to chapter 18, everything in those chapters is about the tribulation, all the terrible things that happen, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and all of the terrible things that happen. Now listen to this. In the first three chapters, the word church is found 19 times. From chapter 4 to chapter 18, it's not found one single time, not once. Why? Because the church isn't there. Isn't that interesting? The church isn't there. I have, I have a whole chapter in this book, and it may be my favorite chapter, and I worked on it perhaps more than any other. It's called Dead Silence. And here it is. Dead Silence about the church and the tribulation, and dead silence in the epistles of any instruction from God. If we were to go through this terrible tribulation, don't you think that the Lord would have given us some instruction in the Bible to help us know it? Not one thing. There's all kinds of instruction about what to do for personal suffering, but that's not the tribulation. But there's not a word in any part of the New Testament that says, okay, Christians, get ready. You're going to go through the wrath of God in the tribulation. Here's what you do. Not a word. Dead silence. And there's not a word in the Bible for the purpose of the tribulation for any Christian. There isn't any purpose for it. Our sins have been forgiven. Jesus took our tribulation, and we're on our way to heaven. We all have different lives. We all do different things. How should we be preparing for an eternity spent with Christ? Well, you know, in the Bible, there are many key passages for that. One of my favorite is Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. talks about waking up, those of you who are sleeping, and uh, begin to live your life. And that chapter is called Living as Though You Were Dying. And it's, it's built on the story of a guy named Pausch who was asked to do a TED Talk on what it's like to live before you die. And after he was asked to do it, he found out he had pancreatic cancer. 
and he actually gave that lecture knowing that he only had a few days to live. And the book was called Live As You Were Dying, and it was the number one New York Times bestselling book. He wasn't a Christian. But what he pointed out was that when you know for sure that something's going to happen and there's a termination to it, it ramps up your energy in order to get ready for that event. We should look at the rapture as that could happen at any moment. And because of that, I want to live my life on purpose. I want to honor God with all that I do. We should have a kind of motivation out of this. That's why this is a motivational book. I believe Jesus is coming back and it could, could happen anytime. There's a story in there about a guy who had a watch. He was a, an evangelist. And on his watch, he had emblazoned the words, the night cometh. And every time he looked at his watch, he was reminded, I don't have forever. I only have for now. Wow. Live every day. But every day has purpose and meaning when you know that Jesus could come back at any moment. Yeah. Reading through this series, I was impacted by the way the gospel is in almost every single section and chapter. How should our understanding of the rapture impact how we interact with co-workers or family members? You know, Sheila, one of the things that's been interesting for me is I've preached on the rapture. I've preached on these doctrines of the future, and we've never had a Sunday service where somebody didn't get saved. And sometimes many people have gotten saved. If you really understand the doctrine of the rapture and you teach it with meaning and you don't play around and do silly stuff that discounts its meaning, people understand There's something going on in our world today. We all know this. That's unique. It's never gone on before. We talk to our parents. We ask our friends, have you ever known anything quite like this? And they all say, no, this is this is different. And Israel's back in her homeland and a lot of things are starting to happen. And so when people understand that and when they really grip their hearts with the rapture, there's a new motivation for them to become Christians. On behalf of everyone, really, we just want to say thank you to you for the way you have devoted your life to digging deep into the Word of God and making this so rich. So I was just wondering, um, as we wrap this up, Dr. Jeremiah, would you pray for us? Sure. Father, thank you so much for the clarity of your book. Forgive us for our indolence and not always studying it like we should. Forgive us for the excuses that we make and the things that we know uh, we shouldn't be doing instead of really coming to grips with what you've said. Thank you for the wonderful truth of the rapture and the hope that it is to all of us. It truly is the blessed hope. And we thank you for the fact that this is on our schedule, on our calendar. We don't know when it will happen, but Lord God, we want to live our lives in such a way that we won't be embarrassed at your coming, that we will be ready to receive you with hands up and victorious lives. And I pray that you will help us in all that we do in these days that are before us and seeing the things that are happening in a world that are so discouraging to us to remember this world is not our home. We're just passing through and we're on our way to that place that you're preparing for us. You've been working on this for many, many years. We can't imagine what it's going to be like, but we look forward to being with you. We thank you for those who we love who already are with you and your care for them. We pray that you will light fires in our hearts and help us not to be afraid to tell our friends that God loves them, that Jesus died for them. And if they put their trust in him, they will get the gift of eternal life, which will take them to heaven to be with the Lord forever. Thank you so much for this time for Sheila, 
for all of those who have come and spent their time with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could you help me thank Dr. Jeremiah? The rapture could occur at any moment, even today. If it did, would you be ready? In The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready by Dr. David Jeremiah. He explains exactly what will happen before, at the moment of, and after the rapture. In 31 short, easy-to-read chapters, Dr. Jeremiah answers questions like, Will children be raptured? What will happen to our bodies at the moment of resurrection? And will those left behind still have an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior? This is Motivational Prophecy, inspiring you to live boldly and expectantly in today's world. Request The Great Disappearance by Dr. Jeremiah, plus the Perhaps Today bookmark. When you give a gift of any amount in support of the ministry of Turning Point, request The Great Disappearance book from Turning Point today. Friends, this book is the answer. It tells you what's going to happen in the future, how you are going to be a part of it, what you need to do to make sure you're ready, and that you'll get a copy of this book as soon as you can. Thanks for listening. See you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Great Disappearance, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new hardcover book, The Great Disappearance. 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready. Informative and inspiring. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we begin the series, The Great Disappearance, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com Bible. The beloved pastor and author A.W. Tozer defined grace this way. 
He said, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. That word, undeserving, caught my attention. As a sinner, I was certainly undeserving of God's blessing. But by His grace, I received His blessing. What about people in our life whom we consider undeserving? Perhaps someone who has hurt us or offended us, whether intentionally or not. If God extends His grace to them, shouldn't we do the same? Consider how you might imitate God by blessing someone you think is undeserving the way God has blessed you. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's grace on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.